0: Well, hey, Seacoast, welcome to you and to everyone online joining us right here, right now. Happy Palm Sunday to you and to your family. Uh, It was pretty sweet to see all of those videos from the kids waving their palm branches around, especially the one who fell right on his face. Thank you for taking it for the team, Archie. (laughs) But parents, thank you for all of your work to send us those videos, and uh, that's just a fun thing to see. You know, if you're new with us, and you're wondering what is all of this Palm Sunday, Palm Branches thing about? Don't worry, by the end of the service today, you're gonna be fully caught at the speed. You know, as far as the, the, the kids waving the branches, we're just doing the best that we can around here to keep up the family shenanigans that usually take place in this room on a normal Palm Sunday that can't happen right now. But I hope that you guys are well. I really miss being together with you, but so glad that we can remain connected, even at a distance during this time You know, over the last couple weeks, I have loved seeing the ways that our church has remained engaged and on mission. You know, a couple things that have been so encouraging to see are all the different ways that needs are being met. People partnering together, stepping up to help. Everything from families jumping in and helping provide for uh, for the community resource, resource center and what they need there. Everything from that to... People jumping in to help the family dog of one of our single moms get the medical attention that it needed. So cool. It's so fun to see our life groups and our groups meeting online, staying engaged, being in community. It, it was sweet to even see somebody using their gifts, their passions to, uh, for sewing, to make masks for medical workers. Even experiencing this past week a drive-by dance party. Which was just hilarious. It was so sweet, and it was actually—it's just good to laugh during this time, you know. Reflecting on all of these stories, all of the different things that are going on, it actually—it hit me this week. You know, we talk a lot about quarantine. I don't know about like. By the way, is anyone else sick of uh, spelling the word quarantine, I'm trying to type that out? I'm I'm annoyed by it. But it's quarantine this, it's quarantine that, and really what we've done is develop a quarantine mindset. Lately, But it hit me this week that quarantine isn't the truth of the matter when it comes to God's church. No, you see, God's church isn't quarantined. No, we are embedded. We are embedded. Far from being quarantined, the church is embedded all over. In hospitals, treatment centers, scientific research facilities, government agencies, and many other relief organizations. No, the church is not quarantined. We're embedded. We're embedded in our homes. We're embedded in our neighborhoods. We're embedded in Facebook groups, Zoom calls, text message threads. We are embedded all over. Because you see, the church is made up of Christians, and Christians are people who have Christ in. Christ in, and because you have the spirit of Christ living in you, wherever you are, Jesus is present. So realize this, that you are a portable sanctuary, Wherever you go, you'd carry a link to the life of Christ with you. And so a pandemic, the pandemic that we are in right now, it doesn't change or alter your identity in Christ. No, it actually sets the stage for you to express it. Far from being quarantined, God's church is embedded. He has you and I exactly where we need to be. So be you wherever you are. Let me pray for us this morning, and let's dive in. Father, we thank you for your presence and for your church, this family, that you are working in and through all over the place. And we ask you now that by your spirit and through your word that you would speak to us. Would you tune our hearts and minds to see and to savor your amazing grace? I pray this in your name. Amen. The date was April 21st, 1980. To observers at the finish line, Rosie Ruiz must have seemed like the fittest athlete ever to run in the Boston Marathon. You see, on this day, the 26-year-old finished first in the marathon among the women in near record time, just over two and a half hours. What was even more impressive is that when the officials uh, crowned her the winner, she was barely sweating. No, her hair was still perfectly styled. Her face was hardly hardly flushed after the 26-mile race. You see, Ruiz made winning a marathon look easy. And it was, using her signature strategy, which was this, don't run the whole thing. You know, officials were hesitant, they were skeptical, partly because of her unsweaty manner, but also partly because no one, neither the competitors nor the spectators of the race, could remember, have, could remember seeing her at all in the first 25 miles of the race. And so when witnesses came forward a few days later to say that they had, they had seen her run onto the course on the sidelines just a mile from the finish line, her medal was revoked, A short time after that, more deception was revealed when the New York Marathon officials looked into Ruiz's 24th place finish in a previous race and discovered that she had used a similar strategy there to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Here was her strategy. Take the subway (laughs) instead of running most of the course. And of course, on the subway, people were looking at her a little bit confused because she was wearing the, the marathon, the runner's number, and uh, apparently she explained it away as that she, she said that she had twisted her ankle and that she was just hoping to get to the finish line just to see the end of the race. So that was Rosie Ruiz. Now, fast forward to 2001. At the end of the New York City Marathon race, officials posted a fifth place for Martin Franklin. The problem, however, with Franklin was that he had run the start and the finish of the race, but was missing in between. You know, at the beginning of the race, he, there's pictures of him there. that He's standing proudly at the starting line. The gun goes off, and he gets going. He gets started on this, this race with all of the other runners. But Franklin, he had done his homework. He had studied, and he pulled a, a classic strategy right out of Rosie Ruiz's playbook. He took the subway. Why run a race when you can just take a shortcut? Take the subway. So shortly after the race, Martin Franklin, he headed for the shortcut, the subway, and he was spotted by riders on the subway before he exited 8th Avenue and made his way back to the race in his championship spandex uniform, and the riders that saw him on the subway were later shocked to see Martin Franklin making his final sprint to the finish line. You know, when officials, they they challenged Franklin after the race, but he wouldn't budge He insisted that he had run the entire race, regardless of what the witnesses had said and what they had reported. Franklin was next spotted skipping town, and that's all we know. If you have any information on the whereabouts, (laughs) just kidding. Now, if you do, maybe fill out a connect card and let us know. Where is he? No, but in many ways... You know, these stories illustrate something that you and I are tempted to do, especially when we are in the midst of struggle, especially when we're in the the midst of hardship. You see, we all want that shortcut. We all want that shortcut, especially when we find ourselves in the wilderness seasons of life. You know, over the last several weeks, we've been exploring God's purposes for us and allowing us to experience the wilderness, the seasons of the wilderness. And I I don't know about you, but for myself, when I find myself in a wilderness, when I find myself in times of the unknown, of uncertainty, when I'm faced with the, I'm in the midst of change, chaos, confusion, when I'm confronted with despair, dysfunction, death, disease, all of that, I mean, who doesn't, when you're confronted with all that, who doesn't want to just be the first to skip ahead and take a quick subway ride to the finish line? I'll admit, I do. I mean, I'm constantly on the lookout. I mean over these past 3 weeks I have found myself repeatedly looking for that subway. You know, not to get a sandwich. <laughs> no, but for something that will get me to the finish line, that will get me to out of the mess that I find myself in. Something that will get me there quickly. We're all looking for something that will help us bypass the confusion, the fear, the uncertainty. And I don't know about you, but so far I'm here to report that I haven't found a shortcut. I haven't found the the quick fix. There's no finish line, shortcut to the finish line with our current situation. We're just going to have to live in it and through it. You know, another way to think about our wilderness times is to think about them as the in between. And it's in the in between that we live much of our life. I love this powerful quote by an author named Jim Branch. He says this. So much of this life is lived in between, between the now and the not yet, between arriving and departing, between growing up and growing old, between questions and answers. Lord, help us not to live for that distant day when the in-between will be no more, but help us to have the courage to step into that sacred space of the in-between, knowing that this is the place where life is transformed. You see, God does some of his most formative work in the in-between. You know, it's natural for us to want to fast forward to get to the good stuff, to get to that new beginning. You know, I would much rather be crossing the finish line than to be stuck in the fog of the unknown. But my prayer for you, my prayer for me, for us, is that by God's spirit, we would be given the courage to step into that sacred space of the in-between and knowing that it's in that in-between time that is the place where we will gain a deeper trust and greater clarity on God's grace and that is what our hearts ultimately crave see the wilderness the in-between can be a time of fear confusions questions isolation and despair and for many of us, like that's where we find ourselves right now. And the fact that today is Palm Sunday, I think is so timely. It's so timely. Because as we wrap up this series, I want to I dive into the story of Palm Sunday with you. And my hope is that by doing so, that you and I would receive a fresh reminder of God's goodness and his grace for us for here and now. Not just waiting for us at the finish line, but for here and now, in the in-between, in the midst of our wilderness. You know, the desire for new beginnings is actually nothing new. You know, Palm Sunday is the day that commemorates Jesus, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You know, the story of Palm Sunday, it actually appears in all four of the written accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry. We know them as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in each one of their written accounts, they all include this amazing story of Palm Sunday. And the story takes place right smack dab in a time of desperation, in a time of wilderness for the nation of Israel. You see, at the time, Israel was under the control, under the thumb of Rome. They were under the domination of Rome. They were living in the in-between eagerly awaiting their promised Messiah, their promised rescuer who would one day come and show up and conquer the enemy and restore Israel back to a place of power and prominence. And to get a sense of the significance of Palm Sunday, it's important for us to understand the setting, the setting, the context of what's happening as Palm Sunday unfolds. You know, Jesus, he was nearing the end of what what had been a three-year ministry. And little did anyone know that on that particular day, that particular Palm Sunday, that just within a matter of days, Jesus would be arrested and he would be killed. You know, over the course of three years, Jesus, his ministry and his fame had spread I mean, he had just gotten done raising someone from the dead. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And that just doesn't happen. So as you can imagine, people heard about the story, and Jesus' fame spread. Then the news of this story, this miraculous raising from the dead, it went viral. Everyone was hearing about this. And so all of this is happening as Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. And it's important to note that this—that uh, Jesus wasn't just showing up at some random, arbitrary time. No, Jesus shows up into Jerusalem as the festivities for the Passover feast are just starting to ramp up. You know, Passover in many ways it's like an Independence Day. You know, during Passover, J- Jewish pilgrims would come from all over. They would all come and make their way. To jerusalem and it's reported that the population of the city it would triple it would triple it'd be bursting at the seams i mean it's kind of like you know us in san diego during comic-con i mean bursting at the seams with so many people you know passover was the annual celebration um, an observance of a time the time that god rescued israel out of bondage to egypt and that story is found in Exodus 12, and it's definitely worth the read, but let me just summarize it here with you. What we see is that God is about to deliver Israel out of bondage to Egypt. And God for, had forewarned that he would strike down every firstborn in Egypt, but that there was hope for Israel. He told, Israel is told that they would be spared by taking a lamb, a perfect lamb with no defect no flaw and slaughtering it and then taking the blood and wiping the blood of this of this lamb on the on above and to the side on the door frame and god promised that where the blood was covering the door that he would pass over that house and not bring destruction and so that event happened and of course Destruction and death was brought to Egypt, and all of that compelled Pharaoh to let the Israelites free, to let them go out of their bondage. And ever since that moment of deliverance, you know, God He He commanded Israel I, to, and He said, I want you guys to remember this. I want you to remember this deliverance. I want you to remember this time of rescue. And I want you to celebrate it and observe it every single year. And so, by definition, Passover was infused, infused with themes of freedom from oppression and bondage. So now let's fast forward. Let's fast forward to Palm Sunday. Think about it. Israel, in a time where they were currently being dominated by a foreign power, is entering into the annual celebration of a time remembering when God delivered them from a foreign power. So by default, Passover was laced with longings for independence. Rebellion was always in the air this time of year. You know, and Passover brought with it undertones of uprising and a strong desire to break free from domination. So it's, it's easy to, to, uh, to think and to assume. I mean, messianic expectations were on high alert during the time of Passover. And so here comes Jesus. The guy who had just raised someone from the dead. Could this be the one? Could this be the one who is who is promised to come and who will come and redeem and rescue and save us? Release us from the oppression of Rome. You know, it's an interesting side note is that part of the Passover observance is still included a sacrifice of a lamb. And some commentators they point out that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem around the same time that people are, are selecting and setting aside their Passover lamb to be sacrificed. And it's so interesting to think about that correlation, that while that is happening, that God at the same time is doing the same thing. God is doing the same thing by providing and presenting the true and better Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 he, said, he refers to Jesus as our Passover lamb, and it was John the Baptist who looked at Jesus and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and so this is the setting. This is the setting as Jesus enters in Jerusalem. It's the setting of Palm Sunday. You know, the setting alone, it highlights the significance of Palm Sunday, but so do the symbols you know, this story is riddled with deep, deep symbolism. And I just want to briefly highlight a couple of things. You know, one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy named John, he described how things went down that day. He said that a great crowd heard that Jesus was on his way, on his way to Jerusalem. And so they all came out and they welcomed him as they entered into the city. And he said that they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. You see, the symbolism here is extremely, extremely provocative. For example, the palm. I mean, when you and I think of palm branches, palm leaves, I mean, we think of vacation or in and out. I mean, that's what I think of. But for Israel, over the course of time, the palm had become a symbol of nationalism, of Jewish nationalism, of independence, It was even used on some of their coins. You know, palm branches were a symbol of victory and breaking free from foreign oppression, breaking free from whatever authority and foreign power had dominion over them. And so when Jesus enters in and palm branches are being used, I mean, there's strong political and militaristic undertones happening. And it's all expressing the desire to break free from foreign domination. And by waving palms, they're essentially waving a flag. They want Jesus to bring them independence. They want him to bring what they so desperately desire, freedom from bondage to Rome. And what John also tells us is that there's a lot of singing, there's a lot of shouting going on as Jesus is is making his way into the city. And as Jesus... So as Jesus is showing up, I mean, it's almost like he's got some sweet intro music happening, and a little soundtrack. I don't know, when I think of this scene, I, I tend to think of Aladdin and start to sing Prince Ali, but I won't go there right now. Um, no, but they're singing a song that was, a, a customary, uh, past for, uh, it was customary for Passover pilgrims to sing on their way to Jerusalem during the Passover. It was a, it's a song that's taken out of uh, Psalm 118, And that psalm is crying out for the the Messiah to come. And here they are taking Psalm 118, and now they're singing it, shouting it, and they are applying it to Jesus. They're singing, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And the word Hosanna literally means, save us now. Save us. John continues on and he says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So it's crazy. Even the donkey has symbolic meaning. In Zechariah 9.9, there was a prophecy about the Messiah, Israel's future king, and that he would arrive on a donkey. So all of this is happening on Palm Sunday. I mean, it's, again, it's Passover. Deliverance from oppression is on everyone's mind. An uprising and rebellion is looming. Messianic expectations are high. And Jesus arrives in the midst of all of this, and he is hailed and greeted just like a king would be. And so this story of Palm Sunday with the setting, with all of the symbols, I mean, it's filled with deep significance. But what's crazy is that just in a matter of days, the crowd will pivot. You see, their songs of hosanna will turn to shouts of hate. Jesus will be completely abandoned, betrayed, deserted, rejected, not just by the crowds, but by his friends. He will be arrested and ultimately killed. He will hang on a Roman cross, shedding his blood, and will die in our place as the true and better Passover lamb. You know, it will seem like all is lost. It will seem like all is hopeless. But three days later, something extraordinary will happen. Word of a risen Savior will start to spread, and that will change everything. But we'll save that for next week. But for now, let me ask you this. What does the story of Palm Sunday show you and me today? What does it provide for us right here, right now, in the midst of our, in, our wilderness, our in-between moment? And I think the story of Palm Sunday is a story that really illuminates several inescapable realities First, Palm Sunday, it reveals the human need and longing for rescue and deliverance. I mean, why are people freaking out when they see Jesus? Why are they waving branches? And the answer is because everyone is desperate for a Savior. Everyone is looking for someone who can set the world right, someone who can make our lives right, someone who can put the world back together again. This world is a mess, and we are looking for someone to restore it you know the wilderness the in between times of our life it makes us long for a new beginning and every human being you and i at our at our core we have a desire for things to be fixed for things to be made right another thing that palm sunday reveals is the human tendency to hook our hope to temporary circumstances see israel they were desperate for rescue they were, uh, they were desperate for rescue, but their hope, and their hope for rescue was hitched to a political and militaristic wagon. They believed that the Messiah's primary mission would be to fix the current circumstances that they found themselves in and deliver them from Roman domination. And you think the thing is, you and I, we do the same thing when we bank our hope on anything smaller than Jesus. When we bank our hope, hopes on anything smaller than Jesus to rescue us from the struggles, from the hardship, from the painful circumstances that we are experiencing. And we do this all the time. You and I, we live with what we call the when-thens. We're all familiar with the when-thens. You know, it goes like this. When I get that job, when I get that promotion, when I get that spouse, then my life will finally make sense. I will, I will feel rescued out of my nothingness and finally experience relief. Or when this crisis, this pandemic finally ends and I get, I get back to my normal life, then, then I'll feel peace. Then I'll feel safe. You know, when I find the shortcut, the subway, then I won't have to feel the pain of this process. Another thing that Palm Sunday reveals is that while God doesn't always give us what we want, he always gives exactly what we need. And this is what we're getting with Jesus. You and I are getting what we exactly need. It might not be peaceful circumstances, but it is peace with God. It is the peace of God. It's once-for-all forgiveness. It's unconditional love. It's an unchangeable, unalterable identity. It's unflinching acceptance. All of that is secured for us by Christ Jesus. And finally, Palm Sunday also reveals the reality that God is not far off. He is very near, and he meets us in the mess He meets us in the mess of the in-between and ushers in a new beginning. I mean, think about it. Jesus shows up knowing what's ahead, knowing the suffering that is to come, but he doesn't take a shortcut. He doesn't try to avoid the pain, but no, he heads directly into it. See, Palm Sunday reveals that God has not abandoned us, nor is he ignoring our pain. No, he's entering into it. And because of everything that he did and everything that we're going to remember, everything that we're going to celebrate this week, because of all of that, we can have hope. And our hope is not anchored on our ability to remain strong and resolute and unwavering in this time no our hope is anchored on the fact that jesus was strong for us and it's his resolute resolute and unwavering sacrifice for us that's where our hope is found and this is good news for us for you and for me as we experience life in the wilderness as we experience life in the in between waiting for that new beginning to come you know seacoast we are in Right now, we are in a wilderness. We're living in the in-between right now. But know this, that the wilderness doesn't last forever. It will pass. So let's not miss out on what God is doing in this season. You know, at the, one of the last things that John says in the Palm Sunday story in John 12, he, I love this, he says in verse 16 that at first... His disciples, Jesus' disciples, did not understand all of this. They had no idea what was going on. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. You see, at the time, the disciples, in the middle of it all, they had no idea what was going on, and only later did it finally click. And it finally clicked, and they were able to look back and say, wow, wow. I did not see it then, but look what, what look what God was doing that whole time. And I think that th- I think the same thing is true for us. I wonder how much of what we're facing, you and me, right now in the in between, how much of this will we be able to look back at and say the same? Wow, I didn't see it then, but look at what God was doing the whole time. And we'll be able to say He is faithful. He is with us, and he can be trusted. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your never-ending presence with us and in us. We thank you for the fact that no matter what we face in this life, nothing can separate us from your love. And God, we ask that you would use this time, this season, to awaken us to the height, the width, the length and the depth of your love for us. Continue to teach us to see our circumstances, the wilderness, life in the in-between, as a place where you transform us, a place where we get to experience the sufficiency of your grace. God, we don't need a shortcut. We need a savior. And that's exactly what you gave in Christ. We praise you for your finished work the finished work that we will celebrate this week and for everything that you continue to do for us, in us, and through us. We love you. In Christ's name.